You're listening to Back to Black Podcast. We're back. I was good on my own, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. You was good on the low for a fatty fuck. On some fatty love. Shit, what the fuck you complaining for? Feeling jaded up. Used to trip off that shit, I was kicking to you. Had some fun on the run, though, I'll give it to you. But baby, don't get it twisted. You was just another nigga on the hit list Tryna fix the issues with a bad bitch Didn't they tell you that I was a savage? Fuck your white horse and a carriage But you never could imagine Never told you you could have it You need me What you are hearing is not a test. This is Back to Black Podcast. Back to we are our, back. <laughs> from our uh, two-month hiatus. You know, nevertheless, we're back in the flesh, in the digital skin. And, um, man, I'm excited to be back. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's been a long time coming, but nevertheless, here we are. So what's going on, ladies? How are y'all doing today? I'm chilling, man. I feel like the hiatus was necessary for all of the good people that listen to this. I feel like it was necessary. It was needed. We had to rejuvenate ourselves, rejuvenate our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come back with some fresh and interesting things to talk about. Um, and just get get back to it. I'm ready. Absolutely. And I know a lot of our fans felt like we kind of just, you know, like Frank Ocean them, like drop some hot fire. <laughs> and then next thing you know, it's like, what happened to Back to Black? Because, you know, I had friends hit me up like, y'all done with the podcast? You know, are you going solo? Are you going to act like Omarion now? Like, what's going on, <laughs> Young T? And to answer that question, no, I'm not going to pull an Omarion. I'm not going to pull a Beyonce. You know, I'm here in the group. And uh, we are Back to Black. But we do deserve, you know, to give our fans an explanation about what we've been working on. So, um for the last two months, I've been busy with school, uh, work, um, just concluded a uh, city council campaign, and I'm also working on a documentary right now that's going to be titled uh, Post-Racial Society, A Tale of Two Americas. So as you can imagine, I've been super, super busy, um, which explains our absence. So no, we did not Frank Ocean, y'all. No, I'm not pulling in the Marion. <laughs> I am here to stay. Oh, you're so gracious. You're so great. You're so gracious. Thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you, you leader. So much. Thank you so much. We, we don't know where we would be without you. Um, <laughs> now, I've been um, living the life, man. I, I, I took two months. Um, I'm not going to lie. The first month, it was like, whoo, this is a forest. This is a forest to be in. I didn't know that I lived here. And then now we've just been timing. Everybody's been busy. And we had to collaboratively get on one page with timing, so I felt like it's okay. I, I honestly feel like if we'd have Frank Ocean, everybody, honestly, we would have left on a high note. Um, and T made that kind of clear to me today. Like, you know, we actually did really good. We would have left on a high note if we had ever leave. We're not leaving. We're not announcing us leaving at all. But we did need time, especially me. Yeah, especially me individually. I definitely needed time to refocus myself and get back onto a platform of good content and and just being productive in my personal life and our professional life with the podcast so we're back 
no worries. We ain't jetting. We didn't, we didn't like hit the Costa Rica or nothing like that and um, just decide that we're going to be sipping, you know, mojitos and whatnot. I wish. I would love to be in Costa Rica right now. Boy, so many people on, you know, posting their pictures down the beach. I'm like, man, I need to be on a beach right now. I mean, that's life, but I really just want to make this bread. Like, at this point, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave anywhere. I just want to get, like, two or three jobs, work like a Haitian, work like a Jamaican, bro, and just, like, and forget that I have responsibilities and just pay bills, like, without having knowing that I did it, like, without missing that money. Oh, yeah. Or you can work like an American, work 40 hours a week and still have to make payment arrangements for your phone bill. But Yeah, I don't have time for that because Sprint, cause Sprint, um, Sprint hit my line too. <laughs> Sprint hit my line way too much. They hit me reminded text messages now like two weeks in advance before my bill is even due. Like, hey, your bill is due at the end of the month. Don't forget to pay us. No, I don't want to have to live that life anymore. I literally never pay my phone bill on time. Like, I just, I, I just don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, my bill is, like, due on the 8th every month. I'm not paying it probably to, like, the 16th or the 17th. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's just what I do. Like, I just feel like, you know, like, I've, I've been a loyal T-Mobile customer for, like, the last 10 years. And the least they can do is, you know what I mean, they're going to get their money. They know that. They know me. You know what I mean? Go <laughs> way back. So, no, I, I never pay my phone bill on time. You know, one time they called me, they was like, now, T, it's been about 15 days. You going to pay us or what? Now, we can tack it on nope. the next bill, but we don't want to cut you off, bro. And I was like, well, I don't want y'all to cut me off either, Miss T-Mobile lady. But, uh, yeah. See, yeah, you're the young, you're the young um, phone bill pair because my mama has made it, like, it is an essence. It's a good, it is a constructed way of cussing out Sprint that she does for the last decade where <laughs> they're too scared to cut her off. I really believe, like, they're scared to cut off her, her business line because they know come that Monday morning, they don't get the best cussing out they have ever had. And I've never woken up to a sprint cutting off my phone. So whatever I'm <laughs> on that end has worked for a decade. That's funny. That is funny, man. So, man, let's go ahead and uh, let's get into things. You know, we, we had to give that explanation, that disclaimer, that no – we're not leaving y'all. Y'all are stuck with us, and y'all gonna keep giving this blessing. You know what I mean? Because this this is a this is a blessing. So uh, oh. I feel like it's so much that we miss that's going on. Uh, not much has changed. You know, Donald Trump is still Donald Trump. A lot. He's now the uh, the uh, GOP nominee. Um, unless they uh, bring somebody else in to run as an independent or nominate someone from the floor, he is that guy. Um, what else? Of course, Prince died. Uh, R.I.P. Prince. Like a um, moment of silence, though. Like, that's unnecessary. Let's go. Right now. Let's go. Oh, I'm Peter Prince, man. There's been a lot going on with Prince. He's got kids coming out of nowhere. Well, kid, illegitimate kids claiming to be uh, Prince's. You know, Ill, illegitimate kids and all that. So even one of them is like in jail right now for like crack cocaine possession. Don't want to be dismissive. You know, it, it could possibly be Prince's kids, but it's getting real ugly with his estate. Literally everybody is coming out of the woodwork, like half sisters, half brothers. Yeah, wow. like seven hundred plus people have literally come out the woodwork for Prince. I kid you not, almost seven hundred oh, plus. Wow, that's the that number. Right. Like, unless it's like a random number, that's the number. That's um, one radio station I was listening to down here was like, yep. Have a hundred people. I mean, yeah. it's the, for the people that are really like, no, you like, you know damn well you ain't got no relation to Prince. Like those <laughs> people are that's reaching, like they ought to be ashamed of themselves for the simple fact of 
of y'all are like completely muddying up this 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 investigation. Like this whole thing, y'all are making this way more complicated for the actual family members that are dealing with a loss and that, you know, are trying to get what's owed to them. I mean, like, of course, everybody wants what's owed to them or really not really what's owed to them, but what they can get out of the situation. But, you know, like, y'all making this way too complicated. Like, you know, damn well, you don't know no prince. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, at all. Yeah. You don't even know his hit. You don't even know his hit songs, like, Diamonds and Pearls. Yeah. Like, if you can't think a door all the way through that whole 10 minutes and 46 seconds with the pauses, you are not related to this man. You know nothing about him. Just going off of what they mama said one time while she was drunk in the kitchen. Uh, you know Prince, your daddy, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you know I slept with Prince You were five when you heard this. <laughs> like, yeah, I slept really... with Prince back in 93. You know, I ran into him in the club. What? Y'all, y'all know oh, his, estate, his estate is estimated to be worth about $300 million. But ain't nobody no. getting it. Literally, his family not even getting that money. Like, the, it's like, the state yeah. they they were saying it's probably going to go because he has a half sister that no one really knew about neither it's probably going to go to her because he, he doesn't have any known children and his parents mm-hmm. are dead his grandparents are passed. Cause i think it goes like he's a grandparents and it goes to parents and it goes to children um and he didn't he didn't he doesn't have any like known nephews he doesn't have any you know kids of course so or brothers and sisters that are known so right now that money is just sitting in a in an estate account, and if all else does, I think that that half sister is like legitimately like his half sister. So I hope for the best for her. That like it's, pro- it's probably going to go to her. I hope you know, for the best for of- her because when it comes to money, man, like people get savage. Like I have seen some sick stuff for like a, a G, literally for a thousand dollars. So three hundred million dollars, you got a tag on your head. Yeah, three hundred right. million is a lot, and, there, and he had no will, and that's another thing I want us to work on as a community, especially you know the black community. It's like really like establishing wills and powers of attorney because like you never know when you're gonna die, especially if you have some assets. Like me, I'll be honest, I ain't got nothing. You know, I got a car and a little insurance policy that's already been taken care of. I don't really have anything for people to fight over unless somebody gonna fight over, you know, my polo or something or, or some blazers. But I don't really have nothing to uh, really argue over but if you if you have assets and you have that money you know it, it, it's really beneficial to you know delegate who's getting what because man some of these these uh falling outs man they get pretty ugly when people pass away and people are like well shit what can i take you know grandma died but who get in the house though you know i have so, a living will i have a living will and um i i made sure that because i just i kept seeing people in my family drop dead I made sure mm-hmm. to get a um if anything to get a verbal i have a living will and i have a verbal Will, just in case anything happens, my brother knows what to do. God, yeah, re- like, yeah. God bless him. I don't want that to have, to have to deal with that when it comes. But I know as far as siblings or cousins are concerned, he will be the person I know that will be responsible, the most responsible for things like that. Right. And I have a, I have a written will as well. I have that written will, boy. I don't have one. But when I get some money and stuff, like, I'm, I'm going to get one, get it notarized and all the legal um, avenues I need to take, but uh, yeah, R.I.P. Prince, man, definitely a, um, a tough loss, and I, I did not see that coming. And uh, we, we will see the next few weeks as you know we get into all this. You know, was he addicted to painkillers? Was this self inflicted, or was he battling addiction? I don't even want to comment pretty, on that. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sick of seeing that. Real, honestly, I'm pretty sick of seeing that. Stop labeling our artists to be right. drug, like to be cocaine and drug dealers, and just uh, um, people who are addicted to drugs and. Alcoholics, I'm getting kind of sick of it. 
like, he was pretty known for living a very healthy lifestyle, as far as I know, very, yeah, very uplifted, very spiritual. So I didn't, I don't see that coming. He he literally <laughs> could have dropped dead. Or be yeah. able to hit him with and the I, and like, hey, okay. And I think it's it's common to, you know, to think of celebrities in that light. But, like, I just, I, and whether he did or he didn't, I mean, I just, I don't really, I don't really care to debate it. Like, I just feel like, yeah. what does it really even matter? Like, you know, let's it, just. It let's, doesn't let's, matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but it's it's more of an issue for me as to literally every time somebody of black excellence drops dead or mm-hmm. brown, brown, like people that are just famous outside of the, outside of the, the majority race, they're drug addicts. They are alcoholics or Oh my God! Something terrible happened to my and the family killed him. It doesn't make sense to me. Bernie Mac, Bernie Mac dropped it. Everybody on his cast knew that he was literally ba- battling illness at his um on the film on the last I think last few episodes of the Bernie Mac show, and some random reporter said that he was a drug addict. It just didn't make sense to me. It was just it was things yeah. that were just unnecessary, and I think especially for Prince's sake, that 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 kind of it's blasphemous and it's a slap in the face of his legacy. Right, because I, I remember when Michael Jackson died and he did the whole, of, of course Michael Jackson died of an overdose, and, you know, he did have his problems, and, you know, I don't like the whole, you know, the stigma with addiction. Like, I, I think addiction is very, very common, and it transcends, you know, any race, ethnicity, um, age, demographic. Like, people just battle with addiction, when, especially when they have pain. So I, I feel like it's so common, but somehow it gets pushed to, like, all of a sudden, like, they contributed to their own deaths. You know what I mean? Like... I don't think Michael Jackson really wanted to die. You know what I mean? You know, he was just battling pain. And I I, I think similar things are going to happen when we finally uh, peel the layers back on the the Prince incident. I think we're going to show that maybe he was in a lot of pain. He was traveling. He was performing. And maybe he did, you know, have a dependency to uh, painkillers and or prescription pills. But does that take away from his legacy? Like, absolutely not. They're, They're human beings. You know, Prince is literally our parents' age, and he was still going out on national, international tours. Like, of course that man was in pain. But for Mm -hmm. people to now all of a sudden, oh, he was a drug addict. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, I mean, just give this man some swag. Give this man some swag on his legacy. Let this man, let his living name live on to his fans and to his family. Don't go in and spit on his grave. Don't go in and spit on him. They didn't, yeah, even, they didn't even get time to even to, to mourn him, let alone bury him. Inflammatory mm-hmm. statements, man. But I, I saw something else that, like, really, really disturbed me, and this was earlier this week. So I was doing my usual, like, okay, for, for y'all, y'all that don't know, most of my news comes from, like, social media. And I know some people are thinking, like, you know, you can't believe social media. Like, you know, that's not the news. And I, I will debate anybody on that. Like, I get 99% of my news, new information, new ideals, new principles from social media. So uh, Monday morning I was just scrolling down my timeline, and I saw something, you know, very disturbing. Now, granted, any time I see George Zimmerman's name, like I just know some disturbing shit is, like, sure to follow. But I was not prepared for this particular article. So I'm sure as y'all heard, you know, uh, Zimmerman attempted to auction off the firearm he used to kill Trayvon Martin. Um, and I guess he was using it to fight against uh, Hillary Clinton and Obama's proposed uh, anti-gun laws and, or some other shit. Anyways, he put it on a website, um, and he received a whole lot of backlash. And, like, in the description, he was like, this is a piece of American history. 
this is the firearm that I used to defend myself against Trayvon Martin on February, blah, 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 2012. And to me, it was like the most disgusting shit I ever seen in my life that, first of all, that he was even able to auction a piece like this. Um, so the site, they pulled it immediately, and I don't think they pulled it for, like, because they had, like, some moral awakening. I think they pulled it because of the backlash. You know, social media is like a juggernaut in terms of getting on people's ass and, like, really initiating change. So I think when they saw that, they were like, okay, we need to pull this. But soon after that, you know, another site picked it up. And, you know, the, the bids now are as high as, you know, 415000 now, there have been trolls who have been bidding on it, um, and now it's up to, like, $65 million. These are really people just really trying to fuck with, you know, the whole process and George Zimmerman. But uh, it hurt, you know what I'm saying? Because Trayvon Martin, that the whole Trayvon Martin incident came at a very pivotal age uh, in my life. Like, I identified with Trayvon. Like, when I remember when that story dropped, like, I saw myself as Trayvon. You know what I mean? So when the verdict was read, you know, I never forget, like, that sinking feeling like I had in my chest. And, you know, really it was a sense of hopelessness because I was literally Terrible. like, you know, that could have been me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I could have been 17 years old walking down the street wearing a hoodie. And next thing you know, someone approaches me. And next thing you know, my life is in danger. And then you have a whole bunch of people debating whether I deserve to live or not. You know, so – and since then, Zimmerman has been in the news and dog. He's like just like the ultimate like piece of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's amazing to me how this man is even still living. You know what I mean? Now, now I just want to throw a disclaimer out there. You know, here at uh, Back to Black Podcast, we do not condone violence. And yeah, we're not advocating for him to die. You know, but, you know, no matter no matter but. how worthy the candidate may be, but if you not happen to hate. be. Yeah, we, we don't. But if you happen to be in Stanford, Florida, and you see Zimmerman and you feel compelled to pull the out and bless him. that man, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I totally, wholeheartedly understand and we would love to interview you. Just throwing out there. Still the best to hug him. You know. 613 him. We, yeah. We won't tell you no. We're I'm not just, tell you no. we're not here for it, quote unquote. If, if you absolutely, positively have to pull the burner out on George Zimmerman and bless him, hey. I'm not trying to get in the way of anybody and what God has planned for them. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I just want to throw that out there and also get some comments from y'all because it, it really had me, like, extremely disturbed. And that's all I got. What, what do y'all got to say? I'm, I'm I'm done. I mean, he is – he's so sick. Like, I don't know – I don't – like, I would like to know if he really even I, – I know he can't possibly – I don't think he understands – you know, what he's saying, what what he's saying as far as, you know, what this means for America and how valuable this is. Like, he literally does not have a legitimate way of thinking. He literally, he needs, he's got issues. He's got some serious issues. And, like, every time I see him, I'm just, yeah, I'm like, why, why is he still alive? Like, why are y'all still, like, entertaining him? Like, he needs to be rotten at the bottom of somebody's, like, prison death row or something like he not even just for what happened with Trayvon Martin but everything that has come from that moment on to this point like everything he's still doing he has no remorse he does not never seem to identify with the other the other half of this issue of a, a, a child was murdered like he no empathy whatsoever so I don't understand like 
how he's still getting by. Like, it's just crazy to me. It it just, it baffles me. No, everything I see about George Zimmerman, I just, no, no. Like, that's, as soon as I, if I see his name on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I I immediately, whoever posted it, whoever reposted it, whoever retweeted it, whoever Instagrammed it, I promise you, the immediate thing I do on Facebook, first and foremost, is, like, it's a full arrow right about somebody's status. And says, do you either want to unfollow, block, or hide this post off your – I go in and immediately hide the post. Anything that says this man's name, I don't believe in anything that he stands for. I believe he is the scum of the earth. I believe he is the lowest form of dirt. He is a snake. And honestly, I be- to give him anything, I believe he- maybe he's mentally ill. Like, I believe he has the, the, the overcast of privilege in his face knowing that he killed somebody and he can live to get away with it. That that's what I see. Yes, I don't definitely. I don't have empathy for him. I don't everything that this he is getting is well deserved. Any hate, any backlash, any arrest that come after this, any abuse, anything after this man's name that comes from this day forward, from the day that he decided to murder a teenager, he well deserves it. He doesn't deserve to stay and he doesn't deserve to live, but that's not my that's not my calling. I, that, that ain't my mission. That ain't my missionary. I don't, I can't decide if, if you going to live or die. But what I can do is I can put my pen out and say what I don't feel like you, what, what you deserve. Because he doesn't. He, but he doesn't deserve me even speaking his name. So I, I won't do it. He's, he's sick. He's, he is of the Donald Trump. He is of the, um, the, like he's of the, that society. I don't, I don't deal with it well. I have, this year, I have learned to just take my L's where I can and literally move on in the most prosperous and happiest form of life that I can because I, I know that I have control of my happiness and my thoughts. I, I'm thought policing myself. I won't let him and whatever drama he has flowing come into the life of my own. I am very well educated on his level of sickness, but I, mm-mm, mm-mm, yeah. can't live here. And and I and I think the most disturbing thing is is not only did he get away with this, but the life he's lived after this. Like, not only has he you know had other incidents of domestic violence, and even someone actually tried to shoot his ass on the side of the road, and I was like, we almost got him. Anyways, uh, he's also <laughs> he's he he's became some of like a, like a symbol of like you know Americanism in a sense. Like he has he has like speak speaking engagements, like he's signing autographs. Like he became like a polarizing figure uh what it means to be a quote unquote stand your ground American. Like he really his life has really taken off. He likes to say like, you know, my life will never be the same. I get death threats, but he's also signing autographs and making money off essentially, you know, killing a seventeen year old teenager. You know, but somehow, you know, you know, like I always say, like I, I don't think most Americans view black Americans as human. And I mean yeah, or as valuable evident. in any way. Or, or valuable. You know, and that was evident during the trial. I remember losing so many friends from high school, so many people who I thought I was close with, and some of their inflammatory remarks and some of the shit they said. And I, and I began to realize, like, God damn, you know, if you can't identify Trayvon with me, there's no way we were ever friends. There's he is the picture of NRA. Like, he's the picture person boy of in, the NRA. Okay. And if, yeah. And I feel like if, but if we went, if we all went out and applied, you know, put no gun license or decided that we wanted to be a part of the NRA, it will be, that, that's the day it will be an issue. That's the day it will be a real-life issue. And, well, the NRA is not open to everyone. And mm-hmm. he's, he's oh, a yeah. perfect idol of, of that society and of that group of people. And I don't exactly. have anything for him. 
Exactly. And I I just want to close on this, and I just want to throw that disclaimer out just one more time in case you just tuned in and you didn't get the first part. Now, here at Black to Black Podcast, we do not condone violence and or assassinations in any nature, no matter how worthy that candidate may be. But if you happen to be in Stanford, California, or anywhere in the great United States of America, and you see George Zimmerman and you feel compelled to pull the iron on him and bless him, we do understand. Or please and email a- us and send us video information that it happened, and we would we would um, appreciate the information, and we would like to know. <laughs> we we really really would. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I, I don't even but, I don't even want to give him any more airtime. You know what I mean? I I felt kind of iffy even talking about it today, but you know it was also really heavy on my mind. Yeah. So <laughs> live your life. Cause I hate live your life. Yeah. This is the podcast of, saying, of speaking the truth. Yeah, I hate even giving him space or, you know, even any any um, acknowledgement. But essentially, you know, I think I speak for everyone. Well, most of the black Americans in America, when I say, you know, we don't fuck with George Zimmerman and whatever happened. At to all. Him, we're, we're here for it. So, um, right. yeah. Definitely yeah. that. But don't give him any more shine. Moving on, henceforth now and forever. Well, I was going to ask if uh, y'all have been watching Underground on WGN. Yes. So, no, I haven't, and I am ashamed to say it out loud, but I have watched all the reviews from, um, on YouTube from, uh, who is that guy? Oh, goodness. I don't know who he is, but he does, like, all the, like, all the very interesting, like, um, show reviews and, you know, House of Atlanta and all that stuff, and he really, really endorses the show. Oh, Funky Dineva. Love, he's very entertaining. Funky, I love him. And I, Funky Dineva, he's, he's, okay. he's, he's like pretty big in Atlanta. He's pretty funny. Um, pretty interesting character. I like his reviews on it, and it makes, it drives me to want to watch the show. It is a great show. Like, when I say great, um, you know what? It's not a great show. It's a necessary show. Like, a necessary great. Um, right. I remember seeing, like, the trailers, and I was like, you know what? I mean, it looks like, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be this good. I knew it was going to be good, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to check it out. But after watching the first season and just watching how literally, like, you know, how this story, you know, elaborates and everything gets put together, it is, like, such a great show. Because it's not a slave okay. narrative. It's, it's a liberation narrative. Right. And uh, that is so necessary for us to see. And I, and I absolutely love the show. I love uh, Journey Smollett. Um, it is just, I don't know. I, I'm really looking forward to season two. I'm disappointed because we got to wait till 2017. But, uh you know, it, I mean, it, but it, if you kind of think about it, that's about the timing of a new season anyway, because it's like the summertime, yeah. and since it started, like, in the late fall, right? Yeah, yeah. That's about, yeah. The, that's about the time. Yeah, such a such a great, great show. So Yeah, it, it really is, and it's not, it's just like the whole, the whole roller coaster ride that you go through on this, you know, on this liberation narrative is it's amazing, because it's like you feel... I mean, it goes through some pretty rough times, some times that are really, you know, have your blood boiling, have you really ready to cry, like, just, the, you know, some things that will really hurt you, but at the same time, it's like, it's worth it. It's so, it's necessary. It's so important that, you know, that in that position, they're, you know, they're fighting for freedom at any means because living in captivity, I mean, was, was worse than death. And, you know, in order to get freedom, you had to risk that. I think Absolutely. it's amazing. It's an amazing story. And another thing, too, it, it, it's not your, you know, your 
happy ending either. Like, although the show was so great, like, they still have a great, great way to go. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Rosalie, you know, she had, I don't want to give it away for people who don't watch it, but, you know, Rosalie, she's in the North now, and she has her freedom, but, you know, her, her guy, Noah, you know, he risked it all. You know, he's back in captivity. He, he was captured, you know, seeking liberation, seeking freedom, and a lot of the, the people who were initially on the uh, underground, um, they lost their lives. You know what I mean? So essentially, there's only three of them left. You know, that's hard. Uh, it, it is it, it is a lot of death, a lot of things that, you know, sometimes it's tough because you're watching it and it's almost like you're internalizing it and you're reliving it. You know, although I've been enslaved, like I identify with those individuals because I am, you know, a black American. You know what I mean? So when I see those stories, I'm, I can't help but think like, you know, the only difference between me and them is a birthday. You know what I mean? Like that could have easily been me you know, yep. shackled and had my humanity, you know, deprived of me. So the show is so necessary. Um, and I, I mean, I love it. And, uh, see at, on the last episode of season one, you know, journey's like, uh, uh, Rosalie, excuse me. She's like going back and like, you know, I got to go back for Noah. She was like, you know, ain't none of us free until all of us free. You know what I mean? And that, that statement like stood out. I was like, God damn, that's so dope. And then, uh, she goes back. And then the next thing, she's, like, coming out of, like, this carriage, and there's a hand reaching out for her. And you can't see the figure, but you can kind of, like, see her silhouette. And she was like, hey, how you doing? I'm Harriet. So now they're introducing Harriet Tubman into the show. And I think that's so dope when shows do that, when they introduce, like, actual historical figures, like, into actual, you know, um, TV shows. Because I think the first people I think knew that was, like, American Horror Story, where they had, like, actual historical figures, and they interfaced, like, with the, you know, the fiction. But, uh... Yeah, I, I think it's great. And if you haven't watched Underground, like, I'm endorsing this shit. I'm like, watch it right now. You know, tell them Young T sent you. You know, there may be, like, I think once MG. you start watching it, like, once you watch, like, a, the first episode, you're going to be like, okay. You're going to start, you're going to binge watch it. I know, because it's, it's so good. It's so, the music is so good. It's, like, modern music. Um, it's produced by John Legend, so there's some great hits, great songs in there. Um, the whole thing is just, it's powerful. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, so I, I definitely recommend catching up on that between now and when that new season comes out. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it. I feel like I'm going to binge watch it this week. I usually waste time at work. Um, I'm glad that nobody knows where I work in Dallas. But um, I think I'll watch certain things during my breaks or something at work or when it's, like, light. But my one of my closest friends, she was endorsing the show to me, and she was like, do not watch it at work. So I work in corporate America. She was like, do not. <laughs> not watching that one. No. Or you'll be walking around mad. At you'll be ready to walk out of that motherfucker. Like, you'll be on doing a copy of page, and you'll be, like, on strike when a white person walks by. You'll be like, no, he didn't. Just you see, and that's exactly the, why I listen to music at work, and I don't watch the show. I can't do it. You're going you yeah, to have all the black people in the, in the, in the break room telling them how they slaves, and we need to escape from corporate America. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be a revolutionary you watch that show at work. Yeah. Listen, I am more than ready. I have been endorsing leaving corporate America, but some funds just ain't right yet. But I think uh, yeah. we talked about it a while ago as to like generational curses that's happening nine to five anyway. But I am more, I am so for leaving corporate America. So if anybody's listening to the sound of my voice, do it. There is another $15 an hour job for you somewhere, bro. Do not <laughs> stay at that job Under. only because you got to pay bills. Yeah. Don't don't sacrifice your happiness, man. But yeah, y'all gotta got check out Underground. And and while, and while we're on black shows, we we, we cannot uh, neglect uh, Blackish, which is another great show that I love. Man. Love it. 
I love watching every Wednesday, and I wish I had the show growing up. Because I grew up in the 90s, and we did have a lot of, like, sitcoms, but, like, um, we didn't have, like, to me, like, Blackish is, like, filling that void like the Cosby show had for, like, the 80s babies, right? Um, I was born in 1990, so I was kind of, like, at the end of the Cosby show, the beginning of a different world, but couldn't really identify with it because I was young and they were college students. You know, but I had, like, you know, Family Matters and Smart Guy and all those other stuff. But I, I tell you how important uh, – I can't stress enough how important uh, Blackish is to me and how funny it is and how relatable it is. Right. And, um, and, and that's what caught me. It was really relatable, and it was like, this is so – this is what high-class, middle-class black look like. Like, even though you know people, like, of that caliber, like, you know black doctors, you know um, civil um, – political people within your area, people that are actually living the lifestyle, but we don't have a TV show about them, so to see it and, like, for them to have kids, and it's, it's dope to me. I love the show. I love it. And then the and then the the fashion is so on point. Like, the the, the decor is so on point. It, it lets you know that, um, you know, living that life, is, is there are no boundaries to that. It's, you know, oh, especially yeah. if you are, a, you know, a black person, a black family, you know, you can – have uh, that beautiful, strong black love and the family ties, the closeness, the sister and brotherhood. The, I mean, it's all, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's really a great show. I love it. And even Rockish. outside of it being like a black main cast, like low-key, like the kids are very relatable. The yeah. the the um second, the second oldest reminds me of my little brother. The, um, the twins remind me of my little cousins, like, the the oldest daughter kind of reminds me of me oh, back when I was in high school. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's cool. So it's just, it's cool to see relatable things and just to see that this is displayed on TV and, and Housewives of Atlanta or Love and Hip Hop, which I totally am not condoning. I have cut that out of my life completely. Yeah. Um, as <laughs> a it out? Because I cannot, I can't do the drama, bro. I can't do Love and Hip Hop drama. <laughs> not this, I can't do it. They, I have enough drama TV shows that I watch, including, like, uh, Mary Jane and, like, Bones or like Law and Order to where I can have a heart attack on my own without reality TV. So I won't endorse those shows as of never. I used to watch Love and Hip Hop. I only watched Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. And I only, the only reason why, because I felt like it was more entertaining. You know, I love like Scrappy and Stevie J and Jocelyn. I, I, I thought it was funny. Um, definitely, I don't, that's not the only narrative I want to see. But to me, like the diaspora of blackness is just so massive and, you know, it's just so wide that I feel like we, to an extent, we have to have those shows because there are a lot of black people who, you know, are those who people live that life, who who really live that life. But there are also a lot of black people who, you know, who are upper middle class and they look like blackish or they look like the Carmichaels. So I, I think it's necessary to have like um, all of those. But for the longest, all we had was like reality TV, like these shows that were mentioned, Underground, Blackish, the Carmichaels. Like these shows are, you know, on their first and third seasons. Like these are these are relatively new shows. So I'm glad they're yeah. getting a different narrative and different representation of blackness. And it's not just this one standard. Put us all in a box. This is how we act. So I'm I'm here for it all. I just know that after loving hip hop, after watching those uh, those main stars this season, I just like the first two episodes. I literally held my chest and said, nope. Nope, no, <laughs> and I and I stopped watching it. I cannot do it. Like I used to catch up to it at work, so during my hour lunch, I would watch it. Nope, I'm not here for it. I cannot do it. Oh, endorsing TV surprised. shows. Hmm. Oh, I was gonna say I actually it's funny like to watch it. I, like I watch it every now and again just to like 
you know, just to laugh, just to see, you know, how these people are just so crazy and dramatic. It's just, you know, it's it's, it's reality TV. It's funny to an extent, but it's, I don't definitely do not keep up with that um, because I know it's it's all a stunt. Yeah, yeah, that's not my lifestyle. I don't, I don't have the funds to be blowing like that. Like they be living like the lifestyle, like but they all be broke and renting cars, like. Yeah, but but I I learned a lot watching like Love and Hip Hop. I learned that like me and Bobby Valentino essentially had like the same seven hundred square foot apartment. You know, I learned like (laughs) like I'm playing. I always don't say that Bobby Valentino. Uh, Bobby V now, due to copyright infringement, he goes by Bobby V now. But yeah, Come I on, he needs to like, stop it. I used to make the joke like, damn, they ain't living no better than me, these small-ass apartments. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And I hear it doesn't pay that well, neither. I hear Mona Scott Young, like, really be starving them people on Love and Hip Hop, but... Yeah. Uh, Charlamagne and God call up, um, what is it, Mona Scott, Mona, uh, Mona Devil Scott or something like that? Mona, oh, yeah, Mona like, like the devil. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny because I like, he, he, you really are signing a contract like to your life over. Like after you get on one show with Mona Scott, like it seems like you cannot, from what I see, I don't know anything about that woman's business, but from what I see, she keep you in drama for the rest of your life. That's what it seems like. You know, you can make, you could definitely make that argument, man. But, uh, I cannot stress enough, like support, um, support black sitcoms, TVs, films, like, it's very important that we support, you know, black art and cinema, because if we don't, we know nobody else will, so here at Black to Black Podcast, we have to just throw that out there, like, support black art, even if it's not that great, you know, because oftentimes it comes to a matter of, like, funding and talent, you know, sometimes I've watched some black films that they probably could have been greater, but I do understand, like, they may have been limited, like, in terms of resources and things like that, but I can see what where they were going and where their intent was, and that's why I support it. And mm-hmm. since we're endorsing shows, I definitely lack in se- black and sexy TV on YouTube. If you have never watched any of their series, I really want you to take at least one time of your life, one day out of your life, and watch any series on black and sexy TV on YouTube or any of Issa Rae's um, YouTube series. Wonderful writing, great, great cast on all of them. Um, take the time and support it if you don't watch regular day TV um, and you're a YouTuber and you watch YouTube like me every single day, Black and Sexy <laughs> TV is something that you need to run into, like, ASAP. Definitely check that out, Black and Sexy TV. I know, like, Tantiana Ali, she be, like, on those, like, BET web series. It's kind of like that, like, web series and stuff like that. Actually, she does have one of her own. I just, I don't know which one it is. Okay, yeah. I know, I think I, think I follow her on uh, Facebook. And, like, I see, like, you know, new web series and everything like that. And I actually don't watch any web series. And I probably should, so. You got to. Be, you got to. Be on the lookout for that, you know what I mean? Because I'll be having a little free time at work, too. I ain't going to say I wear out work, but just know I have a little free time. So <laughs> definitely going to check that out. So speaking of, you know, reality TV um, and the way it plays out on social media, uh, I know y'all have heard that Azalea Banks is back at it again. She... She is so disturbed. Like, this girl has some serious issues. Like, I feel like she just, the only emotions she knows how to express are through lashing out on Twitter at people. Like, I swear she has to have the longest list of Twitter beef of any other social media account holder. Like, it's crazy. Um, And this last one, she was actually attacking Zayn Malik. Um, and he's some artist. Uh, he's also the boyfriend of the supermodel Gigi Hadid. So she's lashes out on him. She's making uh, all these homophobic, um, racial rants, uh, should I say. And 
you know, it's it's just crazy. And then once when other people got into it, because of course he has fans and things like that. Uh, one of those fans was uh, Sky Jackson, the 14-year-old Disney star. So Azalea Banks is, you know, going off on her. Then the girl's mom gets on. She's going off on the mom. And I'm just like, what the hell? But, you know, I'm glad Twitter actually stepped in on the call of a- to call to action and was like, you know what, we're going to go ahead and suspend your account, take you off of here, give you some time and time out because uh, something needs to be done because obviously no one in her camp is telling her to make better decisions. So what's, what's up with that? Yeah. I don't know. Every time I hear about a Ziggy Banks name, let me tell you the only thing I hear is, oh, her music cute, but she's too angry. She's too black and angry. And it's just like I don't even know her music. That's how sad that is. I don't even know her music. I have gotten snips and scams all over from other podcasts. Like, oh yeah, her 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 music is cute, but dang girl, every time we hear about you, you on that BS. And that's really that's literally the only time I hear her name. I wouldn't know anything about her if it was not for her causing drama. That could be a good thing for her, and that could be that sounds obviously like a very bad thing for her at this point, but. I don't, I don't know anything about her music. I've never felt, um, I guess, compelled to really listen to her at all. But when she went off on Lil Mama and uh, uh, Lil, uh, what is that group, the young lady's name, she went off on Twitter and they decided to kick her off of Twitter finally. Oh, Sky uh, Jackson? Yeah, um, Lil Sky. Everybody got the memes over um, with her pictures down. Like, we yeah. finally shut her down after that. But it took forever. At least Chris yeah. Brown has, like, motions when he'll come on and pop off and say something. But it's not a thing that changed him a lot. Yeah, they, but see. They, yeah, I don't fuck with Chris Brown. Go ahead. I don't know. Little Chrissy, he done got better. <laughs> <laughs> he done got better in life. I, I suppose. And I, and I really feel bad for Lazelia Banks. Because, and like you said, Coco, like, you don't know her music. And TK, I'm Mary Jane, you've heard, like, you know, I've heard snippets. Like, Azalea Banks is, like, really, really nice. And, like, she was really supposed to be that wave after, like, Nicki Minaj. You know what I mean? Like, she can actually spit. And she's actually pretty nice. And she does have some, you know, some pretty, uh, some, some dope music out. But it's overshadowed by, like, her Twitter beefs and her Twitter fingers. And I don't know who's in her camp, but there's obviously no one that has, like, her best interest. Like, there's no, like, consulting image, uh, imaging guy or girl or anybody to, like, like Azalea, like, this is really hurting your image. Like, she, just Monday, she was going in on, like, U.K. rappers, right? She was saying, like, you know, everybody from the U.K. that raps is trash and, you know, hip-hop is, you know, origins are American and can't nobody from the U.K. rap. You know? Yeah, now she's banned from the U.K. now. because Yeah. That is. Talking about one of their people, and then yeah. uh, he, she said something on Twitter like, oh, I'll let him eat my booty. Girl, you are sick and disgusting out loud. Yeah. Stop talking. She, she, you know, at first, when she first started going off, and, and by the way, she did, she was supposed to headline, like, this UK tour, and she got pulled immediately. But, like, at first, when she used to go off like that, I was thinking it was more like a marketing thing, right? Like, okay, maybe she's just trying to get people talking about her, because she's definitely in the news, and people are always talking about her unfortunately, it's always in a negative light. And I was really supporting her when she had beef with Iggy Azalea because when Iggy Azalea first dropped, I was like, hell no. Like, who is this culture vulture? Like, we need to get rid of her immediately. And she was one of the ones leading that fight. And she caught a lot of flack for going in on Iggy Azalea. I mean, uh, what's what's her name? What's, what's the Australian uh, Iggy Azalea? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's the culture Don't worry. Yeah, she's a culture vulture, but Azalea Banks was one of the first ones, like, hey, not only did this girl, like, steal, like, my first name, like, she's not really authentic with it. 
And I remember having conversations with people. They were like, no, nah, she's just, you know, trying to rap. And I was like, all right, this girl's a culture vote. She's all going to see. And Lord, Lord, Yeah, people Lord, hated her when she first came. Yeah. Like, people hated her when Azalea Banks was talking about, like, what's going yeah. highly in on her. Yeah. I never liked Iggy Azalea's music. I'm going to be really honest. I didn't see a purpose in it. I hated her song, Fancy. And I was ready for her to fall off the face of Australia Me too. and just leave us alone. But she kept coming back. And yeah. then she ended up marrying, and then she ended up, like, dating a black basketball player. And I was just like, oh, girl. So that means you're going to be okay. around for a while. Nick Young. And, I, and, I, and when she came out, I was like, man, people do not see it, but I guarantee they're going to see it. And, 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 I'm, and I'm glad they did. First of all, I was like, first of all, she's from Australia. She doesn't sound like that. She sounds like she's a, you know, a black chick from Memphis or something like that. She doesn't even rap like that. That was the first red flag with me. And essentially, she got, like, exalted to, like, the top. People were like, you know, Iggy's so dope. She's up there with Nikki. She's one of the best female rappers. Where? Under Nikki's booty cheeks? Because she's definitely not up there with Nikki. Nikki ain't even, like, honestly, a lot of Nikki's music has softened. It's very very commercialized, I feel. Um, I love a lot of her hits. But she still can't touch Nikki with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. She can't even touch Kay Michelle rapping. And we all know Kay Michelle don't even rap. She couldn't even touch (laughs) Kay Michelle rapping with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, it, it, and it was really indicative of, like, really what white privilege means. You know what I mean? She essentially ascended the musical hip-hop charts, and she wasn't great. She wasn't anything. But enough about Iggy Azalea. Let's get uh, back on Azalea Banks. You know what I'm saying? But I just wanted to throw that little footnote in there that I was supporting her when she went on a, went in on Iggy, but now I can't even – man, it's hard for me. I, well, I can't now. I, I can't even defend anything she says because a lot of things that she says are, like, homophobic, very problematic, very inflammatory. So I think it, maybe it was the best thing to uh, suspend her Twitter account. There are a lot of other people that got loose lips on Twitter that are celebrities that say a lot of um, inflammatory and problematic things. So if we're going to uh, suspend uh, her account, shit, there's a few others that need to be suspended as well, especially Pierce Morgan. I don't fuck with him either. Yeah, I don't. I don't. If it's if it's blasphemous, I don't play them. I don't play those games. I summer sixteen <laughs> is is the year where I am happy and literally living in solace and peace. I have made that my duty, and I just don't believe in, in involving myself with drama, unnecessary drama. All I want to do is, 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 is literally live the Drake life, and I'll talk about that later. But I just want to be happy. <laughs> That's really it. I want to be happy. Don't we all? Don't we all? And that obviously does not include Azalea Banks or the game or no, anybody she... that's speaking all this extra stuff. I don't know. I think maybe somewhere down the line we'll hear, you know, what was really her problem. But, I mean, literally, you name them. I mean, come on, like T.I., Rita Ora. Um, I think she was beefing with Lil' Kim. She, I mean, a 14-year-old. Like, literally, Nicki Minaj. I mean, literally anybody and everybody you can think of. Jim Jones. Like, she has way too many people on her list of people she's been beefing with on Twitter. Like, and it's, and it's almost A$AP like... A$AP Rocky... You, you want it to be a problem. Like, you want something to justify her actions, like, oh, okay, now it makes Yeah, sense. true. You know, that that's what and, – and I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I actually want something to be wrong with her so then I could, you know, be a little more – Trying to justify her. what's going on with her. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, right. no, after I saw her edges, I knew that I, I had nothing for her. <laughs> the I knew edges, though? Like edge central. Yeah, edges. And my mom was a hairstylist man, so I know I know the truth in a lie, and she's all of a lie. And I, I can't live like this. I'm really sorry. I can't live in that light. My mom told me if if, if you can't even control your edges, then there's something wrong with you. Like, unless it's a <laughs> issue. 
Um, it's, it's like you can't control yourself. I believe it wholeheartedly. If you cannot, if you can't do two things in your life and that's close your mouth and grow your hair, it's something wrong with you. Yeah, <laughs> and it better be a medical. It gotta be a medical issue. I promise. We went from mental illness to edges, boy. I tell you, hey, call it how you want. Black, <laughs> black people, we know. Black Twitter knows. We see the email. Oh, y'all wild, man. I swear, y'all wild. Oh man. But to just end it on a good note with black excellence, cue all of the bees hiving. Cue all of the bees in the background. I finally saw Beyonce. Beyonce is a unicorn. I believe it. I believe it wholeheartedly. She touched my spirit. She touched my soul. I got my application back approved for Bay Five Bay. I want to say thank you to all of the beehives out there that decided to endorse me and bring me home to our family. I love you all. Thank you. Um, I want to shout out to all my, my best friend that decided to bless me with a ticket to the Beyonce concert. Her, my first child will be named after her. Um, it's, oh, wow. it's amazing. Oh, wow. It is. It was amazing. And if you, I've never been, ever, ever, ever been a stand for Beyonce. I want to say that very clear as day. I had never stand for Beyonce ever. I had always thought she was an amazingly talented woman, but I had never given the chance to feed into the hype of, oh, she's Bezos, she's Jesus, like, you know, she's Beyonce Jesus, she's amazing. I would die for her. I've never seen the need to do that stupid stuff, and I still don't believe in it. I don't care how far I am in the high. I'm not going to die for you, B, because I know for a fact my mama not going to get no money off of this. So I'm not going to die for you, girl. What would you say? What about a kidney, though? Let's say Beyonce needs a kidney or something. Y'all the Listen, same look. Uh, you got her. Uh, she going to get this like, kidney. Nah, it's like four people ahead of her, bro. I'm sorry. Beyonce, nah, she going like, to get my kidney because she going to pay for it. <laughs> Beyonce will actually own a couple of unicorns and a couple of kidneys and hearts, like literally in her basement, like in her multi-million-dollar basement. So. She don't need my ugly stuff, like my, my weak-hearted, you know, um, infested um, kidneys. She don't need that stuff in her beautiful Ooh, life. She don't need it. It's okay. So I, drink, I, drink a lot of, I drink a lot of liquor these days. So. Okay. Well, okay. not really like a lot of liquor, but I be on the situation. So, you know, and then plus college, too, like, I'm pretty sure she drink, like, unicorn's water. Like, <laughs> drink, like, tears fresh from heaven. I don't know. All, all I know is I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, Beyonce. She's an amazing artist. And if, if you've ever been, she got me so good, y'all. She was literally, like, singing songs from almost a decade ago on New Beats. And I swore, after, it took me, like, two choruses to realize, oh, wow, she is singing one plus one right now. Like, or she's singing <laughs> me, myself, and I on a rock beat, and she just tricked me. Like, she had me on a good 10 songs. I was like, oh, this is, um... This is definitely not a new song, but it was amazing, and it kind of baffled me to see how people can talk about her, people like Prince or things like that. Like, when this woman passes away, I wonder this type of crap they're going to have to say about her. Like, she's not mediocre on any level. She, right. she has literally worked her career, and I can say that because I'm actually a fan of hardworking people. I'm actually a fan of good music, good artistry. She is a good artist, a good, well-rounded artist. Absolutely. Um, before, yeah, before she got married to Jay-Z, you know, we had a literary issue. I still feel like, you know, finally <laughs> she got, I feel like she finally got her, like, some talking classes. She oh was like, goodness. yes, it's time for me to be up on this, on this good American English so that I can get to the VMAs and I can get to the CMP one good time <laughs> and grab my award. So I appreciate that. But I found out 
last week that Beyonce was a unicorn, and when she started dancing in the water, I knew that stuff had got real. They built a pool in the AT&T Stadium just for her to dance inside of it. And I want to say thank you to Jerry Jones with your, with your chief self for doing it for us, even though you could have put her on the, the – you could have put on the large screen so we could see her. You could have did that for us because we paid enough money for you to see. But she had to bring in her own screen. I'm pretty sure Blue Ivy was in the back, like, choreographing stuff and was cussing folks out, trying to get them to the stage promptly and professionally and quickly. She probably yeah, cussed DJ yeah. Khaled out on the way to the stage. Yeah, every show, fam, like, I had tried to avoid, like, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so I did not ruin it for myself. She brought out major artists from each city she went to every time. So it was was dope to me. She brought Bun D out, like, from Houston. Like, it was, I thought it was live, and I just want to say thank you for setting the tone for my summer and for my leg. Like, um... Homegirl actually got me on water workouts. Like, that's how real it is. Oh, wow. I'm actually working out because Beyonce done set the tone. I need some of that watermelon water. (laughs) Listen, I'm going to to Market Street, like, literally before they close at 9 o'clock to go get me some watermelon water. And if you think it's a game, (laughs) I will snap you the proof. I've been drinking. Watermelon. So you say she brings out artists. Like, so did she bring out, my question is, did she bring out Dorado in Dallas? Listen, I don't have nothing to do with this tomfoolery. I don't know. <laughs> Beyonce chose. Beyonce chose who she wanted, and okay. I was blessed. I was blessed in the process. If you're you gonna be in Dallas, like you gotta bring out Darrow. Like Darrow. Darrow was called. Okay, I'm like English because I don't know. I don't know what. <laughs> no, but is. I did see on Snapchat when they were in Houston. Um, BJ Kelly. They they actually I, they brought out at least like five major. Yeah, like I can't, I can't remember who all it was, you know, who all it was on that I saw on Snapchat, but they brought out a lot of people, um, you know, like every every one was like a one. Yeah, it was like they brought up so many. So I was like, man, I wish I would have been there. Like it looked so live. Like I, I already, you know, suspected and assumed that Beyonce was an amazing performer. I mean, just from clips or whatever. So I can't even imagine it live, but. Man, I just knew after like formation had just came out and lemonade, like I knew she was she was gonna tear that shit, like stage up. Like I knew that was about to happen. So I, I believe you, girl. I know that some magical things was happening in that um in that arena. Yeah, it was really good. Do I believe it was like the ultimate show of a lifetime? No, because I was literally waiting out for a Prince concert, but I knew I could never afford one, so I just. Like when they dropped his um, concert, like a random concert that he had in New York with with them, I was contemplating on how much money I was really going to spend to just hear them sing a door. Oh, fam! Like I was really, I was contemplating on it. But do I believe it was like the best show of a lifetime? No, and I don't want the podcast to get attached to that. But no, I don't feel like it was the ultimate, the die hard Beyonce concert. But I do believe it was a beautifully crafted. It was a beautifully crafted um, performance. It was a great concert. I loved it. And it it kind of gave me more insight to, like, how much work. If you look at her concert and you look at her works and her music, that's a lot of time and a lot of work that you have put in years. She not fat. Like, she ain't got no cellulite. She's drinking, like, unicorn's water and blood. Like, she's sprinkling glitter on stages and stuff. Like, I just... How can you hate somebody like her? Like, how can you dislike her? She is literally, like, all over the ranges. And you would think that the black people was alive at the concert? No, bro. No. 
Like I oh, had, no, it's never, it's never. It's always the other color, the lighter colors that be cutting up at some concerts. I remember going to a Lil Wayne concert, and I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> they was going. Somebody at was going to cut me over a seat, fam. Like she was more than willing to cut me over a seat that I had paid for. Like, no, I'm here for Beyonce. You're in the wrong world, and I had to show her my ticket just for her to get out of my face. Oh, so, yeah. So let me ask y'all this: so Let's say y'all, y'all, y'all at the concert, and the white people going extra hard. And let's say there's the word, they got a, a burst and, and, and the word nigga is in it. Do you let them white people say nigga during the concert? Or it, Honestly, I'm going to be they honest. Was, I mean, really at, that little, at, at the Lil Wayne concert, they was, I mean, they was definitely, you know, going hard, just as hard when the nigga came out. And, I mean, I remember they did an interview with Kendrick Lamar, and they were telling him, you know, like, you know, the white people that's right there in the front row, you know, do they be saying nigga? Like, what do you do? And he was like, you know, now if I hear him say it in the streets, like if I see him say it on the street, then, you know, yeah, it's going to be a problem. But, you know, they vibe into the music. They sing in the song in that context. Yeah. I understand. I, I don't know. I can't fight you. Like, that's the only thing I can think about. Like, is, yeah. am I going to fight you every time I hear the word? Like, am I really going to do this right now? Or am I going to enjoy and be prosperous and be happy and listen yeah, to Yeah, I think it's that. At that at that point in time, it would just be. I, I mean, I wouldn't really press the issue because I know I remember back in the gap being in the car with my grandma and grandpa, and when um, Contagious would come on, I'd be like, "What the hell is going on?" And my grandpa like, <laughs> "She just sing, she just singing the song," and I'd be like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that wouldn't They're like, in my you, house. you get a pass. You get a pass. Like you get a pass for certain stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. To use it in regular, I don't want you to use it in regular content. Right. Oh, yes, what's up? No. Then we're going to have a problem. Like, I don't, Definitely. I don't believe in it. Just let, I'm going to let you live tonight. You can vibe off of this Beyonce right. song. But come right. 8 o'clock in the morning, don't feel like if you sing these lyrics in front of me on my way to work that I won't cut you or call right. the police. Like, I will yeah. do one of two things. Well, I don't need to go to no concerts then because I'd be trying to square up the entire arena. I'd be like, he said nigger. He said, nope, don't cool. do it. Don't waste your life, Where man. You, you better enjoy that concert. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need to go. I went to an Anthony Hamilton concert one time a couple years ago. Oh, was beautiful. No oh, man, it was so dope. So, so dope. Like, Anthony Hamilton, like, gets down. gets busy. Like, um, I'm only so underrated. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yes. Great concert, man. And uh, his uh, background singers, the Hamiltons, like, they are, like, they can literally be their own R&B group. Like, no lie. They're like, so are we going to talk about it? Because they literally, I low-key feel like they blew up the Respect song. I'm going to be real oh, honest. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. think nobody gave it its props until they went in and harmonized it old Baptist style for me. They and I was, like, this is, I was like, this song is a blessing to my spirit. They they really get big. I love them. Like, and to see them in concert is like a whole nother thing. Like, when I saw them in concert, and by the way, Anthony Hamilton, he not only has background, he has like a live band. You know what I mean? Like, he goes hard. And, you know, we see Anthony Hamilton, like, you know, the whole, you know, sliding down sheet rock with the nappy hair crying and shit and going through it, dusty videos. But, like, seeing him in concert, it was like a completely different artist because he was dancing. He was, like, having fun. It wasn't just like him sitting on the stool you know, singing sad songs, like, he was really getting down and really grooving, so. You know, I can believe it. Yeah, I loved it. I need to go go back, and when he comes back to Houston or something, and uh, buy them tickets again, you know what I'm saying? Because I ain't got that Beyonce money, you know what I'm talking about? I ain't Listen, got it like no, that. No, no, no. But that Beyonce money is live at five. <laughs> okay. So we went over, you know, we gave you guys a long-winded, you know, intro back into the show. 
But since we were talking about our hiatus, our two-month hiatus, um, I just want to talk to you guys freely and openly, and we want to. I want to talk to you guys about life after taking the L. And if you don't know what an L is, an L could be many things. It could be a loss. It could be a breakup. It could be um, getting fired from a job. It could be, um, you know, gaining a whole lot of weight. Or you can start crack, whatever you want to do. That don't have nothing to do with me. I'm just so <laughs> Damn. That is the way to take you. Listen, people do some harsh things. I've seen some stupid stuff. But, you know, I took my first L in life, and it was surprising, actually. Um, I had talked to my, I talked to, you know, the family about it. I talked to, I talked to UT. I talked to you, Coco, about it literally when it first blew up, and, it kind of backtracked me for a little bit, like, oh, wow. Like, oh, so this is the land of fuckery that everybody has talked about. And I've, I've never lived to witness a story like this. I took an L in my personal life um, with dealing with someone that had I had no business dealing with in the first place. Um, and I thought that I was, I thought that was pretty invincible, like, oh, wow, you know, I know how to control my situation. I'm, I'm a good talker. I can, I can do this. Like, you know how you convince yourself of some bad shit when you know it's going to be bad either way? And you're like, oh, no, this is, nope, this sounds right. I can do this. And I want to talk to you guys about life after an L, why an L is so important, and how you can end up looking like Drake after it all. Because <laughs> Drake seems to continuously take some L's, and he seems to always end up making some money off of it. How can you live, how can you live with the L, take an L and come out of it clean, looking like Drake. And why? I feel like L's are necessary. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. Like, do you feel like taking an L in life and an L, quote unquote, is a loss of any kind, a major loss that kind of knocks you back in your character, in your personal life, or in your business life? Do y'all feel like it's necessary to come out on? Do you feel like it's necessary to take a personal or a business L loss? for yourself in order to become a better person, or do you feel like you can avoid those things and still be a great-ass a great ass person? Um, I think you have to take L's. I think you have to take losses, because if you are always um, winning, I feel like then you are playing it too safe, because I don't feel that anyone that um, plays it safe uh, consistently, you know, from start to finish, uh, comes out on top. I don't think that, you know, that's possible, you know what I mean? Like an impeccable offense. I mean, what does that mean about, you know, the defense end? You know what I mean? Like that's not this that is very true. possible. That doesn't seem possible. Um, I think you have to challenge your, your, you know, your, your growth in every aspect in order to, you know, to win. I think that, that involves taking losses. I lived in La La Land. I lived in Gullible Land. I'm going to be real honest. Like the land that Michael Jackson had, you know, that with the circus and whatnot. Never, I lived Neverland. In that, yeah, I lived in Neverland for a very long time because if you, in comparison to a lot of my friends and family, like I've never had a quote-unquote struggle. Like I went to college. I did pretty good. I had, you know, I had like a tough time when I transitioned to, or when I transferred, but I still was able to graduate. I had a job literally the Monday after I graduated. I've had consistent money. I've never lost an apartment. I've never lost cars or anything like that. I've never had personal personal things happen to where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm not the same person. So I, my mom was, my mom told me, she said, Takesha, these type of things are very necessary for you to actually, for one, for you to come, become an adult, for two, for you to be a woman and to see the strength and, 
and the hurt that you have with things, with business or with personal, mine was personal. Mine was doing person I had no business dealing with. But in general, I have never, not to sound cocky or, or anything like that, but I've never taken a real L. In all the 25 years of my living, I've never taken a real L. I've been in a very bubbled lifestyle, and I think that's why it hit me so hard. Like, oh, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this doesn't... <laughs> So this is not the land of butterflies and unicorns and Beyonce music. This is so. This is how people feel. Right. I, I think L's are necessary. Like I, I took L's uh, probably from birth until like I was like twenty three. You know, like not like consistent L's, but like transitional L's. Like I'll come up a little bit L. You know, be a little blessed, another L. You know, just be coming up a little bit more L L L. And a lot of that, you know, just really the L's I took were more like social L's, like just growing up, you know, disadvantaged. Um, you know, my parents did the best they could, but we, we, we were very disadvantaged. So I took a lot of social L's and, you know, a lack of resources and, and, and things of that nature. But uh, I didn't really start winning until I was able to contribute to my own success. You know what I mean? As, yeah. as a child, you know, you're really limited, right? You know, there's only so much you can do. You're kind of under the rule of your parents. You're living in their house. And, you know, your access to resources and just equity and everything like that really is a reflection of your parents. And if your parents don't have it, well, guess what? You don't have it neither. So, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've taken L's, and it's really shaped me um, in many ways. One of the, the, the greatest ways to shape me is like, I'm extremely cheap now. And that really, I'm, like, extremely cheap. Like, I, I will not break the bank for, like, any thing is just like not something I do but I attribute that to my humble upbringing and yeah. not having a lot and taking those losses and not being able to get a lot so now it's like almost like a form of like it's like my security blanket like I need this blanket around me because I never want to feel like that again so but you know um, what seeing seeing you and Coco seeing you and Coco honestly I can tell that y'all people are hustlers I can tell that you 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 both have very good work ethics, so I understand your I understand like your blanket. I get it, but I can tell that at the end of the day, I know that you guys you both would never put yourself in a situation to where that was even an option to to live to live up or to have to worry. You guys are oh, very no. hardworking to me. Right? Oh, you gotta be. Like I I, I literally don't have a choice, man. It's like the be hardworking or, or, or be mediocre. You know, like, there's, like, literally, like, no great area in capitalism. So, you know, I, I've taken many L's. I haven't really taken uh, too many L's in terms of, like, love. Like, this one chick, like, broke my heart when I was, like, 15, 16. It wasn't nothing serious, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, you know, I may have dropped a crocodile tear or something, but it wasn't, like, nothing major. But, like, yeah. See? It wasn't, <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't live that. I was the cutter. We talked about this episode ago, guys. I was the cutter offer. So for the first time in my life, for somebody to be like, oh, nope, I'm going to beat you to the punch, was like, what is this? I, I felt <laughs> naked. I felt like I felt like somebody stripped me of all of my rights as a pimp C player, and I could not do with you what I wanted to do with you and literally sleep good at night about it. I had and to I think- take it. I had to wrap myself up in the blanket of, of guilt and sadness for a day, and I had to really look at life. I was like, oh, wow, you put, but you put yourself in this situation. You did this to yourself. But that's what all, you know, in, any, in most encounters, I think people, you know, you kind of perceive the ill as how you were prepared for it. 
So, yeah. like, if you, you know, if it's a, a breakup, you're in a relationship and, you know, and y'all have already discussed that, you know, shit is not working out, we need to move on, you know, whatever, and you're kind of prepared for that ill, then once you take it, you know, you take it and you're like, okay, I can bounce back from this, whatever. And, you know, and your perception of it is a stepping stone. But when you're not prepared and someone just completely screws you over out of the blue, you know, then you're like, oh, my God, how do I come back from this? Because I don't even understand what just happened. So I think the way you kind of go, you know, the way it comes at you, it has a great effect on how you deal with it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know that, you know, you have to dump back and you can make something, you know, great come from it. Um, I think, you know, until you get to that point of time from, you know, when you take that arrow to when you get to the point of I can build on this, you know, that is gonna, that's going to vary based on, you know, how prepared you were for it and, you know, and, and, really how it impacted your life from a, a long-term stance. Like, if this is something you've been battling with all your life and then you finally just take that real ill, I mean, it's going to hurt. It's going to take some time. But, you know, I think, you know, everyone is, is, is a stepping stone. That's true. Right. Mine was not like a breakup or anything. Like, um, <laughs> it was not, no, I was not an angel in this, and it wasn't like we were boyfriend and girlfriend at all. So let me clarify mm. that. Mm. I was definitely... I was definitely probably on the left side of wrong as far as this whole situation, but it, it was like it was a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's, I think that's what caught me off guard, like, oh, I'm the nice guy. I would never I would never do this to you. And then when stuff blow up, it was like, oh, you're sick. You're really crazy. But, oh, wow. Yeah, but to get off of all of that, because that has nothing to do with the, with the whole picture <laughs> hand, how can you get up on, how can you take your L and make it a million dollars? Or how can you take your L and make it um, the views from the six CD like Drake did? Because obviously that CD was not great. I think it was personally trash, honestly. <sighs> but how can you take your L's in life and look like Drake in the end of it? One, why you have to define why taking that L for you was better for you in the long run than what it was that the day that it happened. Two, you have to realize you are not invincible. Like Drake, he keeps sleeping with strippers, and he keeps ending up on the bad side of things. He can't find a girlfriend <laughs> to save his life. But he keeps making millions of dollars. So you have to take those and, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Up and make them into millions of dollars. Get you a big beat, get you a future song, and drop you a couple of hits like Drake did. Two, time, I feel like timing and reinventing yourself as a person, seeing what because in every situation, you're taking a loss for something, but you, honestly, that comes, that stems from a core issue that you have with yourself. Whether if it's, um, loneliness or being broke or being scared of being broke or going back and getting your education or something like that, it's something that's more you than what it is that other person or it's more you than what it was that job that you were complaining about 24-7 or more you than what it was all the people in your family. So I feel like you have to take the time and correct your four issues and or try to fix them, and that does not mean praying it away all the time. That literally means going to go talk to somebody professional or getting a good opinion on people that have lived their life and have moved on from it successfully. I think timing and reinventing yourself is, is very important, and it has been to me, especially within the last two months, it definitely has been very important. I found out stuff about me that, I kind of pushed to the back of my mind and lost interest in it, or I wasn't focused on it as much as I should have been. Um, two, well, eight, since I'm not keeping numbers. 
um, live the life. You gotta, I feel like, like Drake, he takes, he takes so many else because he, he takes so many chances. And I feel like that's why he continuously wins, whether we like his CD or not, which a lot of us don't. Whether we like his CD or not, he continuously is, he's taking chances and taking risks on mediocre things or great things, and he's making them into something good. So I feel like if you want to live the life, you want to live the Drake life, you want to live the Summer 16 life, you got to take, you really have to take a chance. Um, and why you shouldn't Drake and drive. This was like a, a bonus. Do not Drake and drive, people. Drake and drive, I mean, is don't think you can do both. You cannot be Drake. You cannot be an emotional, emotional dog and think that you're going to come out on top. It does not work like that. You have to get your emotions and your mental together, and you have to you have to know who you are before you take any steps, um, personally or business or anything like that. So for your summer 16, don't Drake and drive. Do not hit me up on a Saturday night, talk about you going to the club, and then we ended up listening to Drake CDs and being depressed and drinking tequila. <laughs> I'm not your friend. I won't endorse you. I'm not here for it. Come on. Oh, man. But that was, oh, that was like feel. A, <laughs> that was like a guideline to like taking L's. Like what to expect when taking an L. You know what I mean? I know, right? Basically, L for dummies. L for dummies. It's the it's the new generation of instructions of uh, what to do for dummies. Like, yeah, how do you get over life? Yeah, and, and I guess the biggest thing is you know learning from the males. You know, you got you got some habitual uh, L takers, like people who. You know, the people who just continually take L's, but a lot of it is, like, self-inflicted and not circumstantial. You know what I, I mean? Like, yeah. I've seen it, bro, and I can't for the life of me figure out as to why. It's, it's, it's a, I think it's a mental thing. It's a dysfunction. Like, it's a dysfunction. And so you keep taking the same L, and you, after the 20th time, you can't see as to why. That blows my mind. It only takes yeah. me one time. It takes me one time to get my feelings hurt. For me to learn, it takes me one time to go broke and understand that I don't want to go broke again. <laughs> It takes me one time for my car stopping on 75 when I'm on my way to work and I didn't put gas in my car the night before. It's, it's you very, know, everybody very has a different breaking point. It's, some people got to hit their head a few times before, you know, they get a little blood. But some people hitting their head like, okay, I can deal with that. But some people you got to draw, they got to draw a little blood before they say, okay, maybe I can Mm-mm. get into this one. I didn't like getting, I didn't like getting whoopings as a kid. <laughs> so I figured out how not to get whoopings. So I'm gonna live. I'm gonna live that same life in my adult life. I'm not gonna keep whooping. Keep giving myself a whooping for something I should know know about now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, like Coco said, everybody is different, man. But uh, that that was some great stuff, and I really do appreciate that. And I'm sure the listeners will really appreciate that. You know, uh, how many steps was it? Like ten, twenty? You know, you know, maybe maybe twenty. But all I know okay. is, is these are the rules of the game. So if you want to live a summer sixteen lifestyle. I, I we encourage you to take um, this episode and apply it to your life in the Drake way. Don't take it with a grain of salt. Take it and wear it. Wear it with grace. You know what I mean? Marinate in it. We need that. So so I saw something interesting, and, it, and it's really not nothing new. I saw, like, an old debate resurface. Uh, it was on Twitter, and that was the good old-fashioned PWI versus HBCU debate. And unless you've been under a rock for, like, the last couple of years, like, this debate has really been, like, in the center of, like, a lot of controversy, a lot of where should we go, where should black people go pursue to pursue higher education. And also another side to that debate is, like, should we just scrap this whole debate and just be happy that we are pursuing higher education? And to me, 
you know what I mean? I can honestly say, like, I regret not going to an HBCU, right? Like, I, when I graduated high school, I was accepted to uh, two HBCUs, and that was uh, Prairie View, A&M, and uh, Texas Southern University in Houston. And um, my parents, they, they really didn't care where I went to school. They were just excited that I was breaking the generational curse and pursuing a uh, college degree. You know what I mean? But I did notice that there was a little apprehension, you know, when I when I did mention that, hey, I was considering, like, hey, you know, mom, dad, I may go to PV. And, and I think sometimes, like, HBCUs, like, they get a bad rap, like a stereotypical rap for, like, partying and, like, turning up. Which is, if you go to any college in America, you know that it doesn't matter what college you go to, like, people going to turn up. You can go to damn college in the boondocks, and lo and behold, it's going to be somebody turning up, partying, you know, you know, having a, having a good old time. But um, I definitely, like, I regret not going. Um, I'm still in college now because, like, I had a lot going on, but we're not going to talk about that. I'm still pursuing my degree, you know, very close, you know, 15 credits away. And I also, I will be transferring to a HBCU next fall. I will be transferring to a Texas Southern University, and, I, and I'm really excited about that, not because one, the downside is I won't be living on campus. I'm an adult. I have an apartment. I have bills. I have a full-time job. So I won't be able to, like, really divil in the whole, you know, campus life of the HBCU, but I will get the experience. And to me, uh, the difference between HBCUs and, and, and PWIs um, is the, the, the sense of self-identity that you that you will find in an HBCU. And I think there's something we kind of take for granted. We're kind of like socialized where most of our teachers are like predominantly like white females, and we kind of feel like that's the standard, and we don't like really bat an eyelash at it. But to me, it's important to see yourself represented, especially when this is higher education and your instructors look like you and they're empathetic to your needs and your social myriad needs and I just feel like it's a whole different experience going to a HBCU although I've never went but I am definitely an advocate for black people you know going to HBCUs because I feel like they're so necessary and that's what we need and before we can get into the Princetons and the Harvards and the TCUs and all these prestigious colleges the A&Ms the, the UTs you know like this is what we had and I think it's important for us as a people to cherish that and hold on to that and really, you know, magnify that legacy and encourage our kids to go to HBCUs. And, and that's just my little endorsement, my spill on HBCUs. So I will open up discussion to get you, your guys' thoughts on HBCUs. So what do you guys think? Is it PWI, is it HBCU, or, or are we simply just happy that people are pursuing a higher education? Um, I definitely would encourage um, our, our our kids to go to, um, you know, a historical black college or university. I mean, I think that is where it's at as far as being around people that look like you and that are proud to look like you, being around people that, you know, can closer relate to you in your struggle in this country. Like, I think that, you know, like I've seen the memes and it'll have like Solange back in her, when she was on, uh, I think, what, Bring It On. And she's got some curly blonde hair. They say before you go to HBCU and then after. And then there, it's like modern, you know, current salons with her fro and, you know, and her, her her cool outfits. Like, I think it definitely is about a level of self-empowerment that you're not going to be able to get at, you know, a PWI. You're not going to be able to find, you know, a group of people that are going to tell you your black is beautiful and, you know, it has no limits. You're not going to find that there. I mean, yeah, they're 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 telling you 
you know, you can be anything you want to do. You're a great group of students or whatever. But, you know, sometimes a young black person needs to hear specifically, you are, as a young black person, you are, your options and opportunities are limitless. So I would definitely recommend, I wish I had gone um, to a, a black college or university. I know that when I did mention, when I was, you know, thinking, when I was getting ready to go to college and I thought of P, uh, PV, Prairie View, you know, my mom, she was, she was against, she was like, no, you know, I know I don't want you going over there and, you know, they're doing too much. And, and I think a, a lot of black parents, you know, they kind of felt that apprehension, but those are the ones that did not experience that themselves. And they're still coming from an era where, where, you know, it's maybe it's not ideal for black people to be so, so, so empowered and, you know, and proud. So I think that, you know, I would definitely, I wish I had gone and I would definitely recommend, you know, people to go. Um, I'm split on it, but, um, HBCU getting older now had definitely been a top tier for me. I remember when I got my TSU, um, a letter of acceptance, I had already got my letter and my financial aid acceptance to the school that I met young T at. Um, and I had already pretty much accepted everything. So my mom was like, nope. She tore that paper up. She was like, you are not, cause I felt like she already knew. I was, I, I lived a bubble, I lived a very bubble lifestyle. I was exposed to a lot of things as a kid and as a teenager. But my mom knew what was best for me. My parents, my parents know that if I had got to an HBCU, homegirl probably would have came back second semester and would have been like out in the dirt. Like I can't believe this happened because I was trying to party and meet all the fine black people. Like I'm pretty sure that's what would happen. My mom wanted me to get to a place where she knew that I would study and she knew that she would have eyes on me. My guy that was in Corpus Christi which was a literally a hop, skip, and jump away from the university that I attended before I transferred to UT. But um, everybody, to be quite honest, everybody does not have a cultish love for HBCUs. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of individuals that have, that have just honestly been excited about going to college just to say that they can get that refund back or just to say that they can go to class or get out of their parents' house or get out of their grandmama's house because their grandma was getting older and they wanted to do something with their lives. Um, a PWR was never was never a bad thing to me. Um, because I transferred to UNT and the the black population down there was not big, but because I ran into them so much it felt it felt more like an HBCU than what it what it was. It was I'm pretty sure we're less than fifteen percent, fifteen, twenty percent of the population at UNT. But it was live. It was, it was a lituation, like, every time everybody got together. It was cool. Obviously, they had their little cliques, their little beefs and all that stuff with just individuals and people trying to, you know, come up. But it was a beautiful thing to see and to see, like, organizations on campus, community service, getting together, eating in, eating in the union, skipping class. Like, just being being together was cool to me. So getting older, I would have loved to experience that at a cultish level. You know, like a like a um, like a Spelman or like a Howard. I would have loved right. to experience that, but I was honestly just glad that some a college saw enough in me to give me a full academic scholarship and say, "Hey, we wanted you here at this school. We want you to be right. a student here." And when I saw the value in myself as a student, then I realized I had way more opportunities than what I thought I did um, in the you know getting out of high school. So I I would have chosen the HBCU. 
Um, but it did right. take me, it took me getting older to realize that I would have before, uh, before I did. But I, yeah. I would have loved, um, I really would have. Um, is it an option for me to go getting higher education to possibly go to law school or to get my master's? Yes, that is definitely, that's definitely my first come first option. But there is not an accredited HBCU in Dallas from, from my understanding. So I would, I would have mm. to move to Houston. Right. And, and and that that transitions to another thing because a lot of times, you know, with, with some HBCUs, not all, you do have issues of it, you know, having accreditation problems. I think TSU, they were on the verge of losing their accreditation a few years back and also a few other um, HBCUs that do have those issues. But I think the biggest thing that separates, you know, uh, HBCUs and predominantly white institutions is really the funding and the endowments. Um, of course, like, you know, Harvard and your, your, your UTs and your Texas A&Ms, like, they're not really hurting for no funding and they're damn near shot, they're damn sure not worried about, like, no endowments. Like, people graduate there and they give back. You know what I mean? They get an auditorium named after them, a stadium, but they give back. They pour out millions and millions of dollars into that university's infrastructure. And I think that's one thing that really hinders HBCUs because, um, we're seeing less and less people attending HBCUs, and we're also seeing less and less of donations and endowments um, from alumni. And anybody that has been to a higher education institution, you know that, that, that money matters. I mean, money matters in every aspect of this uh, society, but it really matters in higher education. So I think that's the biggest thing that really hurts HBCUs is just not having that funding, uh, not having those endowments. But I don't know. I just feel like it is so necessary and I don't think there's a there's a big difference in term or disparity in terms of like graduation rates between HBCUs and predominantly white institutions. But I think the argument starts is because you know we live in a society where most people hold uh, predominantly white institutions in higher regard than any HBCUs. The whole theory of you know um, the proximity to whiteness is, is, is or the white man's ice is colder. You know people really you know, have that internalized understanding, whether they admit it or not, is a, is, a, is a totally, completely different thing. But I think it speaks volumes. Like when my parents had that apprehension of like, oh, shit, he's going to a black school. He's probably going to party or get turned out or be back the first semester. But they didn't have that concern with a predominantly white institution that really wasn't no different. If anything, they were probably more harder drugs at that, at that predominantly white institution, probably more partying, if anything. You know what I mean? And oh, don't get it wrong. Her mom was concerned either way. She was yeah. concerned either way. She popped up an eight-and-a-half-hour trip on occasion yeah. just to make sure that I was trying to get my studies together. So I can yeah. guarantee she felt the same way both ways. Yeah, but, but I, I think most people, you know, like with HBCUs, they, they really get like a bad stereotypical rap yeah. of like it just being like this bad place where people just turning up and twerking and doing all this bad shit. Like I, I really think – that has a lot to do with it, and I don't know why we don't encourage more people to go. You know what I mean? Like, a higher education is higher education, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, you know a bachelor. Go ahead. I've seen, um, and it's a hurtful thing, because uh, we do need, I feel like we do need more uh, more support, especially from alum, uh, alumni, alumnus that have been to these HBCUs and really don't have a love for their institution. Um, a young lady that I know, I won't call her name out, she went to a Houston HBCU after graduating from um, UNT and had so many horrible things to say about it, I guess, like the structuring and things like that. And I've seen a lot of people kind of follow suit with that. And it's like, but you got your education from this institution. You were able to graduate with your master's or your law degree or your undergraduate, your BA um, or your BSN, 
in school and you leave these institutions and don't have anything great to say, that doesn't reflect on institution. That more reflects on you because at the end of the day, you spent your money there. They, right. you know, they didn't need you to to come and to bash them. They needed you to come and support, get your education, and go out into the community and do your part and do your justice yeah. and, and and give change. But you decided to come to this institution and not only get your credit, get your credit, get your hour, um, and get your master's or your um, whatever certificate you got, and leave this institution and bash us. I think right. that's the one thing that I've seen that's more hurtful than us not going in numbers, but us leaving these institutions and not giving them what they deserve. Right. And you see a lot of it is rooted in, like, this internalized, like, insecurity. Like, for example, like, I'll give you an example. Everybody knows black people who may go to a black business, right? It may be a black restaurant or a black business in general. They're going to hold them to a higher scrutiny level than any other business. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you have two stores and they both sell uh, catfish or something. Let's say you go to the to the to the black catfish place, right? And you go in there and and they're kind of busy and it takes them a while to get to you and everything like that. You're you're liable to say, you know what? They got terrible customer service. They wouldn't wait on me handing for you know what? I'm never going to support them again. I'm not going to their business. But we don't do the same thing. We're mistreated by predominantly white institutions. Like, we don't do that. You don't hear black people saying, you know what, I don't like the way they treated me. They'll never get my business again. We don't do that. But when it's a black face in there, it's like it is a, a heightened level of scrutiny. Like, they better be perfect or I'm never coming back here. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that right. every instance or, like, every critique isn't valid, but I know the vast majority come from, like, this internalized, like, y'all better be perfect because I'm only going to give y'all one chance. And I feel like... Yeah, really- I've seen that on the, I've seen that on multiple occasions. I, my part-time job last year, I worked for a um, a black restaurant, and the customers that came in were right. the same because, race. Yeah, and I they definitely hold me. our black-owned businesses um, to, a, to an unfair, you know, light. And I personally, I make every effort to support black-owned businesses, even if I go in and the service wasn't that great that time, you know, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep my mind open to, you know, what they have to offer. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna, you know, say the positives that I got from that experiences, but I, I made it this habit to like never tear down, you know, black people, especially you know, black people trying to do good. Like I I made that a habit of I'm I'm not sharing any fight videos. I'm not, you know, commenting on reposting news stories about black people doing negative things. Like, I'm not going to promote that stigma at all. Like, I'm, I only, I'm only here to provide, you know, positive insight on my, my black people. Yeah, everybody doesn't, you know, everybody doesn't deserve a second and a third chance. Uh, honestly, because I've been to a couple of places, uh, white or black, they, the crap was just horrible, and I just couldn't understand for life and yesterday how they didn't notice. But when it comes to schools, institutions, and small businesses where you know these people are actually working very, very hard to establish themselves and keep the the, the name that they have established, um, it kind of worries me. But I think everybody doesn't look at HB, as all HBCUs being, um, and honestly, as being valuable. We're very – just like a lot of students have a cultish love for OSU or Texas A&M or um, – a Baylor or things of those um, those schools of those natures, we have that on retrospect for Howard or for Spelman um, or for Morehouse. 
and we don't have that across the board for TSU um, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, other campuses that are predominant HBCUs that are predominantly black outside of that realm. And that kind of scares me because we love talking about HBCU, love it, but we don't love supporting. And I've, yeah. I've come to notice that a whole lot more within the last few years. Right. And, and there are HBCUs that are, I guess, deemed and perceived as, like, more prestigious uh, in a sense. And, and not to, like, tear any of them down, but I know, like, Howard and Hampton is a little more prestigious than TSU and Prairie View, just like – Rice University is a little more prestigious than U of H and mm-hmm. uh, U of mm-hmm. H Clear Lake. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that that is definitely evident. And sometimes, you know, we do like, like if it got to be an HBCU, it's only going to be Morehouse or Spellman or something. Else. You, know, you know, like I moved from Dallas to Houston. I'm going hands down. I'm going to HBCU. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, and another thing too is 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 um, not only cost of attendance. You know, some of the HBCUs are a little bit more feasible financially. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And you may have a better chance as an African American. I'm not saying go to an HBCU because you got to because you'll graduate, but you may have a better chance. You may have professors or administrations who are more empathetic to your needs mm-hmm. and really want to see you prosper. And people don't understand how big it is. Not only when you see yourself in an instructor, but when an instructor sees himself or herself in you. Because then they're yeah. giving you a chance. Then they really want to advocate for you. Then they really want to see you make it. And anybody, and I grew up in a predominantly white town. I had nothing but white instructors. Like, I know how it feels for them not to see, to not identify themselves with you and some of the remarks they make or, you know, some of the things they will and won't do that you see they'll do for other students. So and that, me, I think that was a bigger issue for me when I went to UNT. Not to cut you off. That was a bigger issue for me at UNT as a student to, to be at such a great school. Um, I love being a um a eagle. I, I throw up the claw, you know, as an alumni, as an alumni student. But um I had a lot of that I had a lot of those same feelings as not seeing professors or organizations invest in me as a student, um, because of who I was, because of my race, or just not really interested in my well being and to see a lot of my friends, a lot of associates that I know go to an HBCU and, and get cultish love and investment from professors, from organizations from other students, it was beautiful. Right. And, and you, and you, I don't think you can duplicate that anywhere. I, I just finished a book, uh, Between the World and Me, by Ta-Nehisi Coates, who is just a marvelous writer. And he talks about, you know, you know, growing up in, in Baltimore and up north and him not being able to identify with his surroundings because he grew up in the inner city. And it was real gritty. It was real tough. There was a lot of crime, a lot of poverty. You know, there was a lot going on, and he couldn't identify himself with a lot of those people because he was, quote, unquote, uh, he was he was one of the gifted and talented ones. Not to say that there aren't uh, hundreds of thousands of gifted and talented people in the inner cities, but he was one of the more prominent ones. But when he went to Howard and he was able to see all the different types of black people, you know, from different countries, from different states, from different religions, nationalities, like he said that was his Mecca. You know what I mean? That is where he really found himself on the yard in Howard because it was just, it captured like the whole diaspora of blackness. And I feel like that's so important to see, you know, not only people that look like you, but different types of people that look like you. You know what I mean? Different ideals, different principles, just different ways of life. And um, when I have kids, I guarantee you, 
I am going to be a strong advocate for them going to HBCUs. Like, I am going to, like, push. If I, I, I literally want to drag them and be like, all right, you're going to Prairie View, you're going to TSU. Like, I want to start that legacy in my family. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I wish it would have started with mine. I, I really want to push that, like, hey, we're going to HBCUs. We're going to get educated from people that look like us, that share the same ideals as us, and that are empathetic to our needs, you know. So that's where I stand. I'm – I'm pro HBCU, although I've never been the one, but I will be next fall. So that's kind of where I fall on the on the spectrum. I'm just excited to if um, if I ever have kids, which I'm sure I will. Hopefully, the Lord, I'll get blessed with two um, some boys because having a girl is going to be a headache. But nonetheless, I'll be very excited just to see them get to college. But I will be pushing the uh, the HBCU lifestyle. I will push that. Um, that will be at the top of my parent agenda. Um, and, you know, everything that comes along with that, um, black organizations, um, serving your community, being a, being a person who is getting their education and coming back and giving back rather than getting your education, making your millions and, you know, taking care of your mama, <laughs> your mama and your daddy right. afterwards. I don't want right. you to do that. Yeah. HBCUs need, need money, man. And, and that's what we're going to close on. Like not only. Uh, support going to HBCUs and give back to your HBCU, support your HBCU, and encourage the community that, you know what, you don't have to go here. Like, this is a prestigious school as well. You know, so we we cannot stress that enough, man. And I can't stress enough how excited I am to be back with you ladies, man. Like, I really, really missed y'all. Like, I'm so Yay. happy. You know it's what I'm saying? It's been a minute. It, is, it, is, it has been too long. And, and, and to our listeners, like, we are never going to go on a two-month hiatus again. Unless, like, I get signed to, like, OVO or something and Drake needs me to go on tour. Uh-huh. And then we definitely, yeah, and then we definitely going to be on hiatus for a good minute because yeah. we're going to be the hype man. Because we're going to be on tour. tour. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I'm getting so. the back of the bus, like, in the smallest part of the bus, but I will be there, present. I'll be you know, present. So, 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 granted, I don't get signed to OVO. We will see y'all next week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure be sure to like us on Facebook at uh, Back to Black Podcast and uh, listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. So closing out, I am your hostess with the most is Young T. This is Coco. And I am your troubled girl. <laughs> Amazing. Peace. Y'all take care. in school. It don't even matter, I was acting a fool. But who would think the raps would turn into racks? Don't matter, matter of fact, can't get happen to you. Scars on my head, I'm the boy who lived. The boy love playing when the boy too sick. Reclining on a prayer, I'm declining to help. I've been lying to my body, can't rely on myself, but no. Last year, I got addicted to Zan. Start forgetting my name and start to miss my chance. I lay for four months, end up leaving right back. I'm in love with my city, bitch, I'm sleeping my hat. Uh, I felt hog tied ever since my dog died. He lit an 84, damn, that's a long ride. I know he up there, he just sitting anyway. I'll be racing up the stairs, I'ma get to the gate singing.
a spaceship. Get this money, get this budget, KOK to take him. Me and my girl playing the state of the end. Hoping never come a day where we be better as friends. We in a marathon, we could build a marathon. Arguments, experience, they get deeper than a baritone. I've been getting blocked, just trying to make songs with friends. Labels told me to my face that they own my friends. I got the prayer, I got the prayer. Like, how am I after too legit? I got the power, I could poke. Lucifer with crucifix, I cannot strip on stupid shit. I stand up like I'm ludicrous. I know some folks they talk so much, you think they drive a Uber whip. Damn, Queen said, Why we in a queen bed? I said, It's yours, don't worry, love being here. I'm just here to catch my breath, I got a world tattoo. She said, Cool, just bring me some oh. food. All my days, I pray and pray. 